Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than Ginger, Baby, Posh, Sporty and Scary. I'm Ash Rose and tonight we're continuing with our countdown to the Team of the Decade pod, which will be next week. Uh, we're doing goalkeepers tonight, so we've gone through back to front with the positions. We started with strikers, we did midfielders and last week we did defenders. And now tonight we are doing the goalkeepers. Uh, if you want to look at the shortlist we've come up with for each position so far, you can go onto the website, which is ak90s.co.uk, where we've put... F- a few I think we've shortlisted eight to ten in each position the players of the many many we spoke about even Tim Breaker got mentioned last week um, which was quite hilarious because there's some defenders that didn't even get mentioned like Paul McGrath but Tim Breaker got his moment of kind of 90s nostalgia last week so that was good for him um, but yeah you can listen to you can read those on the website they're there for listen we'll do one for the goalkeepers once we've chatted through tonight and then next week me and my guests will go through and pick our team of the 90s, which will probably be controversial and probably disagree with everyone on Twitter. But it'll be a bit of fun uh, for the end of the year podcast. We'll do that next week. Uh, if you want to listen to the actual podcast where we discussed all the different positions, you can, of course, listen to it on the website or on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And if you're on iTunes, why not, while you're there, hit the subscribe button for your podcast of pleasure and download it straight to your device every week without doing a thing. It'll be much appreciated. And while you're there, if you're feeling particularly festive, which I know you all are at this time of year, why not give us a, a five-star rating and even a little review because it helps us tremendously um, in the iTunes charts and it'll make our Christmas. So if you'd like to do that, if you'd love the show as well, we'd like to hear what you thought. So it'd be great if you could do that on iTunes for us. Uh, talking of Christmas, uh, we've got just three things I have to mention um, before we meet tonight's guests. Um, firstly, we have got a great deal running at the moment with Art of Football who are a brilliant website um, if you're still shopping for Christmas gifts then uh, I'd look at these guys uh, it's basically t-shirts with iconic football images with an artistic twist um, they're very good I'm wearing one tonight which you'll be able to see I'll put on Twitter it's a very apt t-shirt of a goalkeeper we'll talk about later on um, and if you go on today and this week you'll get a 10% discount by using the code AK90s that's AK90S 10% off your order and they'll make sure we'll get it out before Christmas so definitely do that if you're still shopping for a gift as well I'm going to yep here comes the cheap plug hashtag cheap plug uh, the book the ultimate book of 90s nostalgia is out now um, it's on Amazon there's a link on the Twitter profile bargain price of 9 99 if you like your 90s which I'm sure you do because you're obviously listening to the podcast there's a whole book full of memories that I, I wrote a couple of years ago and it's still pretty relevant so why not go and purchase that for yourself or your 19s loving football friend and finally on the Christmas theme uh, you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at AK90s and at the moment we're doing this kind of 90s football advent calendar type thing where every day I'm putting up a ridiculous picture of some 90s personality in a Santa gear I think this morning was a beautiful picture of Steve Stone sitting outside a, a Christmas tree of his presence so not in a Santa outfit just looking like his bald smiley self of the 90s which uh, is very appropriate for this time of year. So check that out, AK90s. Um, now I've done that extra, extra long intro for everyone, and I hope you're still with us. Um, that's me tonight's guests. Um, two returning people for the, the podcast. Um, so welcome back to both of you. First, you, Andrew Raymond, you were with us quite early on, weren't you, at the beginning of the season? We did the League Cups. Yeah, probably about podcast three yeah, or three four. Yeah. yeah, that was right. And the night is a much more happier time for you because you're a Villa fan. Of course, right for West London Sport, but you're a Villa fan, and it's a bit gloomy at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think I'm going to start telling people that I support someone else. It'd be much simpler than just getting the sympathetic, ah, yeah, well, we're going to pat on the head. That's a QPR fan as well. But let's keep it 90s and ticks to Dalian Atkinson and Dean Saunders, and all. And we'll talk Mark Bosnich probably later on. And um, joining him returning as well is a um, writer, broadcaster, and media mentor. 
that intro again. Very good. I like it. <laughs> David Spencer, Reading fan. Good evening. Yeah, good evening to you. Andrew, you're sounding desperate. Which team would you pick? Did you mention Accrington Stanley? I think Accrington you? Stanley might be a... Go a, on, a, say it. Desperate. Who, Who are they? <laughs> <laughs> was that 90s? Just. That was just 90s, wasn't it? Uh, it might Possibly. be late 80s. It might be late 80s. Yeah. It, was, it was still on in the 90s. We'll, right? have, so that, we'll have that. Right. Before we do the next part of their CVs, here's a few things that happened this week in the 1990s. On the 15th December 1995, the European Court of Justice rules in favour of Jean-Marc Bosman and the rules of transfers have changed forever. I saw a picture of him yesterday, actually, and he's looking bloody old as well. I didn't realise how old he got, but <laughs> must be the, the strains of transfer dealings. Uh, on the 15th December 1999, West Ham beat Aston Villa in the League Cup, but are forced to replay the game after fielding an illegible player. I'm really going to struggle with this guy's name. Manny Omiyimni. There we go. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> to me, all, I was doing that on the train as well, so you can have that. Etched on my memory. Yeah, as a, as a Villa fan, I'm sure it is. You beat them in the replay, though, so it worked well Absolutely. for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, 17th December 1995, England had drawn with Scotland during the draw for the Euro 96 group stages. Uh, 19th December 1992, Eric Kandos got his first goal for Manchester United in a 1 1 draw with Chelsea. And on the 20th December 1996, Middlesbrough pulled out their match with Blackburn due to an injury crisis and are docked three points, which eventually leads to relegation, I'm sure. Friend of the podcast, Joel Young, will remember that vividly. Um, no mention of Janinia. So let's do the next part of the CVs then. As it's your second time around, we like to do matches. Let's start with you, David. So best 90s match for Reading at Elm Park? It's not at Elm, not Park. Elm Park. Not at Elm Park. Obviously, we discussed last time about the transformation that happened to Reading during the... 90s, which mm-hmm. was the move from Elm Park to the Medeski. So it's more a significant decade in, in terms of that than some of the matches. Yeah. So very difficult to choose classic games, but I've gone for a game that was a cracker, but I have to admit, I watched it on TV. Mm. But having said that, for a Reading fan, that is still quite significant because, to be honest, we weren't on TV yeah. a lot. And I st- I've got programmes when we had an FA Cup third round tie against Birmingham that was on telly, broadcast by B Sky B. Wow. And, you know, In the, the early days. The really early days. Yeah. when it, And at this stage, it was a Sunday ITV game. Mm. And it was in the season that was significant for us because we'd finished second in Division One as it was called, the only year that the team who finished second did not get automatically promoted. (laughs) Middlesbrough were the champions, and this is part of the reason why I've developed a a long-time hatred for the Irrational hatred, we like those. Irrational hatred for Borough. And so we were in the playoffs, and we were put into the playoffs. Obviously, the biggest game of the decade for Reading, not just our first at the Madstad, was the final, which we touched on last yep. time, which still pains me to think about it. 2-0 up, penalty, mm. just before half-time, saved, Bolton win 4-3. That's in the history books. Yeah. The game I've chosen is the semi-final. Right. And in the semi-finals, we obviously we finished second, so we played the side who finished fifth, and that was Tranmere, who'd lost just twice at home in the league all season. Would that been John Aldridge's team, right? John Aldridge's mm. team, and uh, Tranmere had a heritage for a while of being playoff mm, losers. I remember, yeah. Uh, they got into that sort of category, a bit like Preston did for mm. a while, on the cusp of the Premier League. We absolutely slaughtered them in the first leg at Prenton Park. We won 3-1 with Lovell and Nogan scoring the goals, 14th of May 1995. And I just remember being reminded about how fantastic we were that season. And just to remind people, obviously, aren't fully across Reading's history. <laughs> that season, Mark McGee had started off as the manager. Halfway through, he'd become the FSB, which is the polite way to pronounce uh, the fat Scottish person, uh, <laughs> who went off to Leicester. City mm-hmm. left us Remember in very it, yep. controversial uh, fashion because he said he wasn't going to leave and a day later did and Jimmy Quinn and Mick Gooding 
now broadcaster Mick Gooding took over for the rest of the season but we managed to play some amazing football that season and if you ever do want to watch the playoff final by the way the first half stop at that point because we were immense but the semi-final when we won 3-1 at Tranmere was amazing and then I had tickets for the home game obviously at Elm Park nil-nil the second leg but you don't care no you don't especially in the playoffs so and that was us off to Wembley and it's, it's an amazing performance and you kind of think uh, the, you know that team. Obviously, we finished second. We didn't go up. The Premier League was reduced to twenty teams yeah. that season. That's why uh, only the two teams went up to that division. And what could have been? Yeah, that's, that's often those, what yeah. people ask. Sliding with, doors with that moment. Team. You know, because we talked about playing at Loftus Road. Yeah. If we'd gone up, because Elm Park wasn't able. What yeah. we'd done remember Watford, that vividly. Possibly. Yeah. And I think actually, as history is told, it was a good thing we didn't go up. And the history that followed the first time we were ever in the top flight, obviously following the 90s is probably worth it for the memory but we weren't to know it back then mm, good choice and just on a modern day note why the sky are just obsessed with showing reading qpr games i'll never know i think after the last one that's guaranteed we will not be picked God, for well, even after the last one before that was even <laughs> such a dire fixture yeah, um not a keep good it, advertisement no not at all uh, keeping it 90s then uh, best game overall then of the decade for you well i know that we touched on this the last time i was on because i think it was ralph talked about FA Cup semi-final weekends and it's right at the start of the decade and uh, as someone who as a neutral football fan I love the underdog obviously as people generally do yeah of course Bournemouth Uh, then you know you get hyped up about the smaller team Mm. beating the bigger fish April 1990 two FA Cup semi-finals you have got Oldham against Manchester United before that Palace against Liverpool I watched Palace versus Liverpool the Alan Pardew 4-3 game Mm -hmm. In a social club for the place where I worked, after a football match that we'd played that day, sat next to a staunch Liverpool fan who just spent the whole time, John Barnes is brilliant, oh, John Barnes is brilliant, all this kind of thing. I absolutely loved it. And, I, you know, you, you don't like to cheer for other teams too much. I went absolutely yeah, mental yeah. for Crystal Palace that day. Fantastic. And what we said last time, neutral grounds, yeah, not all Wembley. All the time, yeah. All on the Big same of that. day, weekend, yeah. FA Cup semi-final. That was a special weekend. And I think that probably a lot of people are taking back to them. So right at the start of the decade, as a neutral, I loved it. Yeah, that's good. Now, they used to be played at Villa Park a lot, didn't they? And that takes me to you, Andrew, the uh, FA nice. Cup semi-finals. That was a good segue, wasn't it? Um, so best Villa game of the 90s. Was that at Villa Park or are you going somewhere else? I am going to go Ooh. for Villa Park. Um, yeah, uh, we had we had a few moments in the nineties as we discussed with the League Cup wins and stuff. The the, the um, there was the win over Leeds, which was fairly routine. The win over Manchester United was quite uh, mm-hmm. spectacular. Um, my first game actually that I saw was at Sellers Park, um, and that was a good game, three all against Wimbledon. Um, we also had a, a Stan Collymore got a, got a great goal, um, pretty much one of his only few good moments in, uh, in a Villa shirt uh, against <laughs> Atletico Madrid. But it's another European tie that I'm going to go for, and that's towards the beginning of the uh, the decade as well. It was um, Villa's 1-0 win over Inter Milan yep. in the UEFA Cup uh, of 93-94, uh, mm. I believe. Um, we'd lost the first leg uh, 1-0. Um, and um, it was Ray Houghton who scored against Inter Milan in the second leg uh, We were to, to, to put us in the lead 1-0. Um, fairly prophetic, of course, uh, scoring past Gianluca Paluca because, of course, he uh, went on to do it in the uh, World Cup yep. the following summer as well. Um, and 
I do, what I do remember is um, not being, this was before my first Villa game, so I was listening to it on the radio. And I do remember Alan Green getting very excitable. <laughs> and at one point, as Villa were pressing and pressing, either for the goal to put us ahead on, on the night and level an aggregate, or pushing, trying to push for a winner or something along those lines, um, him using the phrase, I'm not biased, come on Villa, was, <laughs> was a memorable phrase that lodged in my mind, even as an eight-year-old or whatever I was then. And the, the, the hero of the hour, I mean, obviously, it went to a penalty shootout, and mm. obviously, we're going to talk goalkeepers in a minute, and, and, and penalty shootouts tend to, tend to favour goalkeepers, and they become heroes. But the hero of the hour on that day is a man who will go down in Villa folklore, even for not anything else but for scoring the winning penalty against Inter Milan and that is Phil King oh there's a name stuck the, past. the penalty yeah. away um, and uh, love yeah. a random name yeah and so if you're, if you're picking your cult heroes yeah. from the 1990s then from That's an Aston Villa perspective Phil King is your man I remember that it's one of those random vivid memories that game actually because I remember they must have been live on TV and obviously it was more of a rarity in those days that the games um, especially European games I remember the Inter Milan players coming off the coach because you had like Matthias and Bremen it was all those Germany players from the, who'd won the World Cup a few, a few years before and it was I remember it being a big game that one so it was a, it was a good pick um, outside of Villa then what would be your game of the decade well we talked we talked about FA Cup semi-finals at Villa Park um, and you can't well I'm not going to choose this one but you, you you have to look at Arsenal Manchester yeah. United yeah. Um, and everything that went in it I mean it was just an it, just an astonishing game from an you know an end to end point of view the, the penalty save um, the Ryan Giggs goal um, the fact that the ball was given to him by a rare loose pass from Patrick Vieira yeah. um, it was just had everything in it, it um, as for um, there was also, of course, the England-Argentina World Cup 98 yeah, game. Chased a couple was, of times, yeah. Um, I mean, the first 45 minutes, I think the rest of it was fairly sort of yeah. um, tense rather than... Ex- but for me, the best game for pure emotion and feeling exhausted at the end of it was the England-Germany Euro 96 semi-final. Good pick, yeah. um, You know, it was... It was from the moment yeah, it was built up and built up for obvious reasons particularly from the from, from the World Cup of 1990 and um, semi-final and being at Wembley and the, the atmosphere was just punctured of course quite early by the Alan Shearer goal everybody really allowed everybody to sort of feel a bit more relaxed yeah. and everything else and then the equaliser and then of course the Germans had a goal ruled out and mm-hmm. yeah, remember Gascoigne it. couldn't quite stretch oh that the, Gascoigne I still oh. think he's going to hit it every time I see it now and Gareth is, Southgate. Yeah, and Gareth Southgate. I remember being on a family, come. family visit the previous day. Um, how old would I have been? 11, something like that. And talking about football and, you know, so who's going to win tomorrow then? Oh, well, you know, I'm, you know England, obviously England are going to win, mm. you know. And, you know, being a, a loyal Villa supporter, I just said, I reckon Southgate will get the winner. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> little did I know. So you're to blame. I All these blame, years later, yeah. The, yeah. we've learned poor Gareth and his pizza had to come that he'd do with Stuart Pearce and Chris Wilder was all your fault. And the name of the German goal scorer? The the winning penalty. Uh, no, the oh, sorry. The, um, we can't, can we say that nicely on this? Oh, is it, it's, can it's, it's nice? Yes. Yeah, it's Stephen, it is Stephen Kuntz. Kuntz, Kuntz. Yeah, which the, I said at the time. I said that should be the front page of the Sun. Yeah, it's just, just one word. Yeah, just the name <laughs> of his shirt. Yeah, they missed a trick there. They, didn't they? they just were. 
if they'd been brave enough to do yeah. that, best front page ever. It would it, have been, yeah. It led to a great moment on um, Skill and Medina's yes, fa- fantasy, just thinking fantasy that was about The next thing I was about to but say. But we definitely yeah. can't. We definitely can't. Yeah. Uh, we definitely the, can't the, say the way that they comment, yes, the yes. way it commentated. And just on that, then that word, yeah. On that subject, very quickly, your your sort of Villa icon of the year, your your Phil uh, the decade, Phil King, <laughs> only player of the nineties that had a name that sounds like a really filthy hobby. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on <laughs> We had Tim Breaker last week Phil King We love a cult hero Let's stick to that we, What we're going to do Was what we've done The last few weeks Is look at the, the award winners As in the PFA teams of the year Just so we like we would know Who was voted Basically the best goalkeeper Of each season I, What I did before Was pass all this round But obviously there's less goalkeepers So I'll just read them out And then we'll talk through A couple of these guys And why they were brilliant In the 90s So here is the list 1990 Neville Southall of Everton 91 David Seaman of Arsenal 92 Tony Coton of Man City 93 Peter Schmeichel United 94 and 95 Was both Tim Flowers Of Blackburn 96 David James of Liverpool 97 Seaman again And then 98 and 99 Was Nigel Martin Both of Leeds Now the obvious two That stand out there um, and I think we'll stand out of the decade and, and it will be rude not to start with Peter Schmeichel and David Seaman because they you know, they were the figureheads of goalkeeping of that era I think where everyone would agree they'll be when we do the team next week they'll probably be the leading contenders to the number one spot but to start with Schmeichel what made Schmeichel brilliant David? I think it's the way that if you look back at how he he changed goalkeeping, mm. which is quite a, 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 an extraordinary thing to say. You know, you, you get midfielders, you get attackers that, you know, have a, a different style that are unique. Yeah. He was a unique goalkeeper. Yeah. You know, he's there to save. But he actually, his presence, the some of the saves, the reflex saves, but also... We know, and we'll talk about some of this with, you know, say, my favourite goalkeeper in a, in a moment from the, the decade. But you often get goalkeepers that have uh, fantastic reflex saves. Mm. You get, and they are, that's normally what they're remembered for. You, you've got a goalkeeper, but then you say, yeah, but they don't really catch, you know, on crosses, they're a bit yeah. dodgy. They don't really command the area. On everything, Peter Schmeichel was good you know there's three main things those three main areas as a goalkeeper in terms of dominating the box in terms of being a fantastic shot stopper and that kind of claiming crosses yeah all those categories he was fantastic at and I think he continued to improve in all of those kind of categories you know it's probably early on that domination of the box is something you remember more from his latter career because he's got his presence but you know he even seemed to have a presence if you look at early footage when he started Yeah Well we spoke Euro 92 The last time you were on Actually yeah. wasn't it And it was that kind of tournament That kind of put him to prominence And even then You could see What a, a great goalkeeper could He was going to be Could be the flash of blonde hair Or something yeah. Just kind of made him memorable We'll talk about Some of the shirts that he wore Might have made him memorable <laughs> But but you know That presence And I think You know That is the sort of thing That then keepers Followed from that thinking Not just do I have to be someone who makes fantastic saves and looks, you know, the whole Billy the Fish type, yeah. fantastic, you know, camera saves. It was the whole package that he had. Mm. As much as made because he, he played handball as a kid, if I remember rightly, and I think a lot of that was put into his goalkeeping. You, as a Villa fan, obviously saw him later in his career, and we, we do keep it 90s, but did he still have it? Was he still the same? Could you still say, you know, he was later, later in his career, but... He, he still had a presence. Mm. Um, I think the, the, the sharpness had gone. Yeah. Um, I think coming back from, um, from sporting, I think it would have been, um, he, I think, was probably a little bit surprised by the intensity of the Premier League again. Um, the one thing, uh, he did score for Villa. Um, uh, against, United as well, against Everton, yeah. Um, 
he had a, he, he had a presence. I think he was the first and possibly only goalkeeper now, even now, where when I know he had a good defence in front of him as well, and that helps, particularly in that first era of of. of in the 90s of Manchester United defenders, you know, when you're talking Parker and Pallister and Bruce and everybody else mentioned in that ridiculous song. Um, <laughs> I can hear, can hear that now. Go yeah, on, carry on. Um, <laughs> you were surprised when the ball got past him. Yeah. I remember the 95 Cup final and Everton beating United and just the sheer astonishment. I think he had someone on the line in his way, but the sheer astonishment when Paul Rideout mm-hmm. got a ball past him and you just thought... You know, I don't understand how. I mean, I put, I partly put um, Villa's triumph in the League Cup final of '94 down to the fact that Schmeichel was suspended because yeah. he came airing out of his goal at one point against Charlton in a league game and got himself sent off. Um, and Les Seeley um, uh, was in goal for Manchester United in the in the in the League Cup final. Um, I think his lack of his him not being there yeah. was a big boost to Villa that day and he's the first you, you, you talked about it David the first, you know, the first goalkeeper in history probably possibly with the exception of someone like uh, Yashin or Gordon Banks to say you know when he's not there mm. the opposition get a real boost yeah. and he, I think he, that's he was a three points wasn't he mm. a, a season at least he was one of those players a bit like how Peter Cech has affected Arsenal in the, in the modern day even though no suggestion Cech I think Schmeichel was an overall better keeper but he was one of those players, like you say, when he's not on the team sheet, may like look a weakened team. And they, they suffered with the European rule early on. I think he missed a couple of big European games early in the 90s when we had the, the free foreigner rule. Um, but he's, I, I think he changed, why you say changed goalkeeper, do you think he changed it in a way Manuel Neuer does it now? Well, he's the one that you think of when you think about, okay, if you say that, who has he influenced? Yeah. And it's the fact, I, I don't know what the, 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 the size of Schmeichel was. I haven't looked up what, you know, how yeah. big he was. But the fact is, he had that presence which kind of adds almost a foot to it. You know, so, I mean, Neuer is a big guy. Yeah. But, you know, you, you look at that, you think, that's going to be tough to score. And, you know, you, you've had big goalkeepers before, but he was mobile and he yeah. was, you know, and he, he could also see the game. He's obviously a bright guy anyway. And while that's ne- not, not necessarily an asset as a goalkeeper, to some degree, I think it, it maybe is, and it perhaps is underplayed. I think, you know, that kind of intelligence is often underplayed in a number of roles mm-hmm. on the football pitch. But, you know, he, he has sort of influenced how people think more about, as you say, goalkeepers that when you take them out of the side, that side is, is weaker. The thing is, you, you often say a goalkeeper has a mistake in him, and that's a criticism of a lot of goalkeepers. Yeah. To be honest, most goalkeepers I've ever seen have a mistake in them. The likes of Petr Cech, and Schmeichel don't really no, you can't really think offhand of a Peter Schmeichel error you know and, and I've got a hand up go on I, go on I, I, I can but this is not keeping it 90s I'm afraid <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is about Villa well I was about to talk about his distribution his distribution remains I believe unparalleled for yeah. a goalkeeper yeah um, and I think an example of him perhaps not having it's one example, admittedly, but there was a game, I think Boxing Day against Liverpool at Villa Park. He went for one of his usual, caught the ball, went for one of his usual throw, you know, throwing the ball out to someone 70 yards up on the right wing, managed to hit the referee on the back. And it oh, felt, yes, it, it's bloody it, back. It, it felt kindly for a Liverpool player who just whacked it back past him into the net. I think that's possibly the point where he went, do you know what? I'm not quite as good at this yeah, as I used I'm to be. I'm done now. Yeah, I'm done. But I think for that period, I think the 90s, I think his best years, like we've said, um, in contrast, David Seaman, I think, although brilliant in the 90s and his main contender, probably got even better e- even to the 2000s. But let's talk about Seaman before we talk to today's guest. Um, probably 
consistent is always the way I think of that. I know he was nicknamed safe hands and he had that back four in front of him, but England's best of the decade? Undoubtedly. And again, you know, you can look back at clips and say about amazing saves. We can recall the Sheffield United mm. semi-final save, obviously, which uh, was just tremendous. But I think before then for, for QPR, you will have known he would yep. have done some uh, uh, amazing saves. And I think consistency, reliability, um, apart from if a, there was a long shot from distance, again, we're going outside. Hashtag Naeem. No, Naeem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, lots of jokes about that. I've, we better not go there after earlier jokes. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and I think he wasn't as spectacular in that I don't think the same necessarily could be as easily said about you taking him out of the side as Schmeichel. Mm. And I just think that's testament to, to Schmeichel's Schmeichel, brilliance yeah. in that David Seymour was an amazing goalkeeper. And undoubtedly, you know, probably in history, England's second best, third yeah. best goalkeeper of all time. And he was just... And when he then left England, you realise that the problems that that created for a number of years until Joe Hart, yeah. really... Pretty much, yeah. I think that underlines how much... He was one of those where you probably... You did appreciate him at the time. Slightly more appreciated after he, he left. I mean, for Arsenal, he was fantastic. And Arsenal fans will say about, you know, he, he did make a difference for them. Yeah. But I don't think, in terms of, you know... You, you touched, Andrew, on the distribution thing. That was a really key point with Schmeichel because I think that's where he saw things on the pitch that perhaps other goalkeepers didn't see in terms of springing play from him. And that has changed the game as well. Seaman didn't really necessarily mm. do that. He was steady Eddie. Yeah. Do you think he, like, I would say Schmeichel defined a position, whereas Seaman excelled in, a dip, in, a, in the position? I think, that's, the I think that's fair to say. I think you're looking with Schmeichel and his absence uh, boosting the opposition. I think Seaman's being there calmed the Arsenal yeah. and England back four I think when you when when you knew he was he, he always communicated well he always commanded well and I think people knew he was going to catch things um, I remember one game I think this might be the 2002 World Cup unfortunately but I think it's the Brazil quarterfinal he comes out to the edge of the box takes a clattering and you know bearing in mind his age at that point and I just thought my god if he doesn't get up now we're in we're in a bit of trouble because you just knew yeah. that he was. I mean, you know, he said, you know, his, 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 his many saves. Um, I mean, the save again, slightly outside the nineties, but that Germany five one win, yeah. that save low down, I think at, uh, at one nil down, possibly it could have been two nil Germany, and the whole thing's different. Then mm-hmm. England probably don't make the two thousand and two. Yeah. I think World his Cup. penalty as well, the penalty save year ninety six yes. in Spain with his was that, no Scotland was the one with his elbow, wasn't it? But the yeah. Spain penalty shootout, that's uh, one of the the, be- the best penalty set because it was one of those really good penalties, and he he excelled in that in that yeah. penalty shootout. Yeah, and and um, I mean, it was a great. It was a, I mean, now you said you touch on on other keepers as well but it was a great um, era really for England goalkeepers yeah. the, the latter 90s particularly um, well, look at the names there I mean Nigel Martin won it twice Tim Flowers was there twice it's those two goalkeepers it's funny because we've gone through the positions and I always thought that strikers was the main area where if you the strikers of the 90s would walk into today's England team where you had the, such a massive pool yeah. of amazing strikers but every position we've done we've kind of gone hang on and I don't know if that's rose-tinted glasses in terms of the 90s, but if I look at Flowers, Martin, Seaman, and this is no disrespect to the guys that are playing now, and potentially they're of a young age, they may go on to it. Joe Hart, Butland, and one other doesn't have the same kind of ring to it, does it? And I think Nigel Martin is possibly 
extremely unlucky. Yeah, and because, underrated still, I think. And underrated because, I mean, you could look, you could compare him to somebody like, for example, Andy Murray, people who don't necessarily know about tennis, slag him off for not winning enough, but look yeah. at what he's got to compete with. You know, Matthew Pinson may be a sir now, but he had to be in the shadow of, of Steve Redgrave. You know, Colin Montgomery may have won more if it hadn't been for Tiger Woods. Um, uh, you know, Jensen Button's forgotten about because of Lewis Hamilton. a great PR campaign for you Nigel know, Martin yeah. here. You know, <laughs> but Nigel Martin is... is you know, without if David Seaman isn't there, David yeah. Seaman had never existed. Nigel Martin would have won many more England yeah. caps. He had that, of course. He had that sort of. He was shoved in at Euro two thousand and didn't cover himself in glory. But that was rather rather at the last minute. Um, you know, he he went to tournaments and never played. He you know he just he he was still uh, you know. I mean, I think there's a there's a YouTube video of him playing for Palace and Leeds and stuff where you just see saw some incredible saves. Yeah. And even later on, again, we're doing a lot of this outside the nineties, but it's a testament how long these guys lasted. But his resurgence at Everton and later in his career, he was he was phenomenal for them. And was he the first million pound goalkeeper? Is that right? Yeah, Bristol Rovers to Crystal Palace. Yeah, good and, fact. Yeah, and he again, I, I think there was an era when England had the kind of Peter Shilton, Ray Clements scenario that you you are always going to get someone who's going to miss out. Mm. And Nigel Martin was was overshadowed at that period of time. I mean, just as you look at that shortlist that you went through. A lot of homegrown, yeah. Home well, it's surprising. Pitch Michael's only in there once. Yeah, and that just I think underlines again the paucity of talent that's around now. Having said that, that's one position of the current England team that probably we don't not actually sure. have to worry about yeah, as well. Exactly. We, as long as Joe Hart stays fit, but Jack Butlin is looking good. Um, but let's keep it nineties, and we're going to talk to today's guests now. Um, he was a goalkeeper in the nineties in a brilliant Newcastle team. You'll remember him uh, for that era, and also for the brilliant goalkeeper tops that he wore as well, which we do ask him about. Uh, this is Pavel Cernicek. Pavel Cernicic, welcome to A Life and Kick In. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We're going to take you back to, to your heyday in the 90s at Newcastle. Um, just tell us, how did that move come about originally when you joined the club? Um, I had a, I had an agent um, used to ex-Yugoslavia, and uh, he just come to Bani Gostrava, where I used to was, and then uh, and, uh, he asked me if I would be interested in if he found me a club in England. Uh, obviously, because we just... Uh, uh, finished the, the communist regime and uh, we everybody who had opportunity like I had would definitely say yes. So I said yes. And uh, but before I joined in Newcastle, actually I went to Leicester. Huh? You know, uh, which is David played. Uh, he was the manager at the time, and uh, and we had a discussion. I will move to Leicester, but uh, because you know the, that time they didn't have too much money, so I had to wait for a month and promised him I wouldn't sign for someone else. And then uh, after months, he called us back. He says he couldn't get any money. So, and then, but that time, the, this agent find me the, the Newcastle, you know. So I went here for a week, and that's how, how this all started. Mm. What did you know of Newcastle before you went there? Did you, were you aware of the club and the, and the history around no, it? No, no. To be honest, I uh, didn't have much clue about English football or anything else because, like I said, uh, you know, communist country, we didn't have mm. much information about you know, rest of the world, and uh, uh, so I, I didn't. So I really didn't know where I'm going and what will happen. And what were your first sort of impressions of, of Newcastle as a town and, and, and the club? No, no, impression was fantastic because, like I said, you know, where I come from, you know, when we go abroad is, is always something special, something different that time, you know, so it wasn't, wasn't different that time. And what about the accents? Was that something you had to get used to around the, in the Geordie accent? Yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. I have no problem. Actually, I have more problem with the with the people from London. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> okay. Well, you you had you were right there, and it was Jim Smith that was manager. But 
it wasn't before long Kevin Keegan came in. How different was the club when Kevin took over and the, the kind of atmosphere around it? Um, obviously, um, you know, be- between the Aussie, there was also Aussie Ardiles, mm-hmm. you know, with Jimmy Smith or Ardiles, because obviously Jimmy brought me in. And uh, obviously when Kevin came and uh, chairman, you know, he said he's going to put the money in and everything. So that's that's how all the things become, because obviously with the with the chairman behind the Kevin and Kevin's uh, choice, his choice of the of the players, you know, the players he choose. So that that was his little magical, and, and that's how how he did it. And what do you remember about that promotion season? That was some season because the season before you struggled, but that was quite a, an impressive season. That the run Newcastle went on. Yeah, you know this is what is nice about the football. Like you know, one season you near relegated, and next season you 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 do the promotion. So no, fantastic memory because uh, all 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 the city, you know, everybody was with the club. You know, all every single. Single person in Newcastle was with the, with the club, which is was fantastic. Mm. It wasn't before long that you were chasing the Premier League title as well, and obviously Kevin Keegan's teams were known for their attacking attend. What was it like as a goalkeeper to to play kind of behind that sort of attacking? Did you wish they were defended a bit more? <laughs> no, really, you you don't really think about that much, you know. But uh, you know, with the style we played, uh, I play like the sweeper at the back mm. in some some of the games, you know. So. You know, um, you know, I didn't really think about it. You know, that we would be, because you know, I think the Kevin philosophy was we always score more and we concede. You know, mm, which which gave entertaining games as well, and always gave you yeah. the title as well. I mean, one of the biggest memories of the '90s is Kevin Keegan and his big speech, the the Love It speech. What did the players think of of that after hearing that after Keegan's big speech on Sky TV? Look, um, this is us, us when we play Leeds away, I think, and uh, you know. We didn't think much because we didn't know about it till we came to the bus. Mm. And actually, even in even that, we didn't know because we didn't see the interview. But we heard like Kevin lost it and something like happened in a, in a, in a you know uh, on the television. So, but we all find out when we came back home actually what happened. And obviously, next day in the morning when we came to to the mm. and, what, and, and was that just uh, a sign of of the pressure that you, that Kevin was under at that time? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, because, you know, if he felt probably the, the title, you know, running away from us. And uh, obviously because we all was desperate to win it. And uh, all of a sudden we didn't have it in our hands. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's you know, the pressure on everything probably that time, you know, was too much. You played with some, some great players at Newcastle. Could you pick out a favourite of, of you like playing with at Newcastle? Uh, look, it's a difficult pick to favour because, like you said, of so many. You know, Alan Shearer, Peter Beasley, Juno Laos, Ferdinand, Andy Cole, Venison, you know, he's heard this hard like a lion, you know. So difficult, honestly, difficult to pick one, the best one. You know, Pedro's magic was, you know, Juno the first six months when he came was fantastic, probably mm. the best I've ever seen. And uh, But uh, like I said, it's difficult because, you know, it won't be fair to, to the so many others because you know some uh, part of the, of the season was probably best player the Pedro part part time was the Andy Cole when he scored his uh, you know record for Newcastle so many goals so it's really difficult you know mm, good choices good choices one thing that you did happen at Newcastle while you were there was you used to wear some horrendous goalkeeping tops what what did you always think when the new kit came out and they used to have some of the crazy 90s patterns on it were, were you embarrassed to wear it or did you just laugh it off 
Look, we we just laughing because the one one of the shirt Kevin came to me and says, "Look, Puff, this is what I picked for you." So I think he he chose the colors and everything, but he didn't know how horrible color color was that, <laughs> you know. So, but he was laughing about it as well because I think he liked it, you know. But also, it wasn't only about the colors. But if you, if I'm looking back now, also how the shirt was baggy and you know mm. big like the material and everything. As soon as you lie down on the floor and was wet, you know, you had two or three kilos extra on you because that shirt, you know, not like these days, you know, everything is light to your body, you know. That's why all the players these days look fantastic on the pitch. Yeah, uh, none of the baggy we, shirts. We, we, we couldn't say that that, that time, you know. <laughs> Towards the end of the decade as well, you had a spell at Sheffield Wednesday. What, what were your memories from, from, from Wednesday and at Hillsborough? No, um, look, uh, again, uh, I came there. Uh, and I had a very good experience, you know, good bunch of lads, you know. The thing didn't went well for us, really, you know, but I, I stand, stayed there only a year and a half, so. And then, uh, you know, like I said, never, never, I don't have bad memories, but didn't have much, you know, memories to think about, to refer because it was, like, part of it, and I spent spend there only a season and a half, you know, so. But it's it's a part of my, my career. Mm, definitely, we're, talk, we're talking about goalkeepers of the '90s on the show tonight. Um, what, apart from yourself, of course, who who did you respect and, and look up to in that sort of era? Well, who were the best goalkeepers around for you? No, obviously, you know, you have to mention uh, Peter Schmeichel, mm-hmm. so, because obviously, if you look at the English, you know, English players that time or the goalkeepers, he would be definitely, definitely there. And uh, you know, you have you know David Seaman should yeah. be there as well. You know. Um, I think Shea Given, you know, he would be between the top uh, the, the keepers that time, you know, as well. So, you know, but uh, you have, uh, this is, you know, we mentioned like only one, like English goalkeeper between, because I don't think so those English goalkeepers, you know, because most of the goalkeepers probably I would speak would be more foreign than, than English. Mm. Well, thank, thank you for your time. What are you up to nowadays, Pavel? I'm actually coaching uh, goalkeepers at Sparta Prague. So I'm, um, you know, I've been there actually four years now in in January. So uh, I have to say, yeah, this is top club in Czech Republic. So I'm mm. really happy, you know, because obviously you always want to play or work for the best, and uh, that's what Sparta Prague is at the moment in Czech Republic. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time. Okay. Cheers. Thanks a lot, Pav. No problem. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Great to hear from Pavel then, and that brilliant side of uh, the Newcastle side of the mid '90s, and some good names there, and he's. Obviously, said Peter Schmeichel was a big name for him of that era, but Shay Given was one. I mean, he must have been quite young, I would have thought, at that, that era, but that's again a great goalkeeper from that, and definitely a nod to him. Um, while we've, we've, we're on the subject, we've spoken to Pavel about it, the goalkeeping kits. Let's have a little bit of look back at the goalkeeping kits <laughs> of the 90s, because kits in general, which we talked about in pod two, actually, um, and we did touch on the goalkeeping kits then, but as we're talking strictly on goalkeepers, they were crazy and not just baggy, as uh, Pavel mentioned there, but the designs of them, it just mind-blowing, weren't they? They, they were. It's almost like um, kit designers discovered the spectrum <laughs> in the 90s and we'd been living in black and white for yeah. 100 years because suddenly you got these crazy goalkeeper shirts that just, OK, well, we, we don't need the team colours with the goalkeeper. Let's just have every colour. Yeah. And it's sort of someone's gone to the, the design agency, yeah. Run with it. Why not? So you had, um, I mean, I looked at a Tim Flowers one, <laughs> and it's, it's like Tetris 
is being played Remember on his well. top. Yeah. And McEwen's Lager, is that the one? I, I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean if you were a striker running in on goal <laughs> yeah. and you'd just be like, Well, hang on a minute, I'm gonna play a computer game, you'd be dazzled. And obviously under floodlights he would park, that would be quite mm. a daunting prospect. I think that's partly perhaps why they uh, why it worked for Tim Flowers. At the ba- I'm glad Pavel mentioned Baggy. Because yeah. that's something I mean, in kits in general, you know how rugby got there first because they, they you know they tug mm. the shirts in rugby so it makes sense to have tighter fitting tops. But football shirts and baggy, yeah. I mean, the practicalities really, of that are really just, baggy just weird. 90s. You know, it's like yeah. you catch it on a post, you know, yeah. there's a sort of, you could have stored all sorts of food and yeah. drink in your well, I think Neville Southall probably he, did. He probably he? did. <laughs> um, and I think. Uh, as we hand this over to Andrew to discuss kits, Mark <laughs> Bosnich had a similar Tim Flowers one, but they went with triangles. They were sort of... I was just about to say, yeah, it was a sort of a blockbusters effect. Um, <laughs> you talk about playing Tetris, a striker coming in this, I'll, I'll have a pee, please, Mark. Um, I think, yeah, uh, I mean, the obvious ones to talk about, I'm sure everybody can remember uh, Campos and his yep, own his designs. List, yep. um, <laughs> uh, also from that World Cup, I seem to remember the American one being a bit um, yep. Tony Miola. Tony, oh, Tony Miola, yeah. In, in, in a USA jersey that was that was a sight to behold. Um, it was, um, yeah, it was everything that the 80s wasn't really. The 80s yeah. was quite fairly sort of plain Well, they went designs. from just, here's a green goalie top. Yeah. So hang on. Like you say, that's fine, every colour. And it's interesting that Pavel said that Kevin Keegan chose some of the designs. So I don't know if Kevin Keegan <laughs> was some sort of weird kind of Will Fowler-esque Zoolander-type designer in the 90s. I think he was just 90s. colourblind. Yeah, think, possibly. proven since. Because Newcastle were really the brunt of it I remember them and Liverpool because it was a, I believe it was an Adidas goalkeeper kit had kind of like someone had drawn massive squiggles in the thickest pen you've ever seen it was like purple and white and green and it was crazy this may be slightly after the cut off but I think there was an orange Liverpool one as well which yeah. I seem to remember Sander Vesterveld <laughs> wearing and it's just it, it, I mean there are there are just some there are some hideous designs and the goalkeepers like you say um, end up end up you know, being the uh, being the uh, the poor wearers of it because they just they're given free a reign I guess to come up with whatever yeah, they, they really want, whatever did whatever they like. and I think we'll end it by by saying no more so than David Seaman's Euro '96 semi final kit which was later called the Refreshers kit yep. and it's the last kit and I'm going to admit this on air that I had the full kit wow. for because those shorts were hideous too shorts, socks I had it all I was one of those full kit beeps <laughs> <laughs> I was did a it, child did it not have England written on it down the side was that a different yeah, but kit it did but in kind of broken up kind of fancy lettering that kind of if said England and you had to sort of move your eyes to be able yeah. to like 3D effect oh, or it something was, but it's I can remember Dave Seaman talking a about it of you with that kit uh, if I find a picture of me with yeah. that kit on as a <laughs> <laughs> 10 year old yeah 10 yeah 10 to 11 year old I will, I will tweet it because that yeah that was some sight and I think that's the reason I've never bought a full kit again I think that was enough <laughs> for me but yeah Georgie Campos you mentioned um, was someone I was going to start to talk about anyway I mean he was he gets remembered for his kits but he was a crazy goalkeeper he was one of those when you watch the tournaments which we'll there's a couple more we'll talk about in a minute but he never heard of him and he was so flamboyant. He made his own kits. He played up front. His upper deck trading set cards had two cards. One was a striker and one was a goalkeeper. But I'm surprised that's not been repeated. Goalkeepers designing their own kits. Uh, are you surprised having seen that? Well, you know, the fashion world has moved on. Maybe they should have taken advantage of Georgie Campos. I think what happened is they discovered colours in the 90s and they've tried to move on since. <laughs> and, and let's take the palette away from the goalkeepers for designing. I think that's, that's good uh, for, for fans and, and viewers alike, I think, possibly. Sticking to kind of 
flamboyant. I'm not going to use the word crazy, even though that goalkeepers are known. So they're, they're two names, particularly from the 90s and goalkeepers abroad. We'll talk about a few more abroad of the, the more recognised names, but these two names can't be mentioned when we talk, cannot be mentioned when we talk about the 90s. Rene Aguita, which is the t-shirt I'm wearing now that I'll put on Twitter later on from the guys at Art of Football. Cheers for that. Um, obviously, you say Rene Aguita and the first thought comes into Wembley, October 95 and Jamie Redknapp. I mean, did you try the scorpion kick the next day? Um, I, I think most kids yep. did. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think the, the, the playground was a bit hard if you fell on it, unfortunately. Yeah, I tried it on the bed when I went to bed and that was hard enough. So. Yeah. The, the big question is, did he know that it would have yeah. been ruled out for offside? Well, he'll say that he did. Or he didn't. No, he didn't. Well, yeah, he, he didn't. Say yeah, he'll he say didn't. that he didn't. But, but most people think he saw a flag yeah. go up and, and decided to, decided to try it. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, just a crazy, crazy guy in a in a in a friendly that would have gone un. Yeah, we'll never have remembered yeah. it. Well, uh, yeah. I was there that night, and I can I promise you, it was completely was it, it was nil, nil, forgettable it? Yeah. game. Yeah, and the, and that's that's the Wembley where, unlike modern England games, where you get virtually to the eighty thousand, ninety thousand crowd for Estonia yeah uh, you it, it was half empty or maybe even a third so and yeah it, the the laughter that went around was <laughs> was extraordinary and you know because it was I mean I went to a, a number of games in that period of England internationals I remember taking my stepson to see England v Cameroon I think as a, as a friendly at Wembley with Robbie Fowler scoring yeah. and um, those games were pretty hard to get through, you know, in a fairly 20,000, 30,000. Yeah, but the thing was, you know, at least with a crowd, you know, you've, you've got perhaps a, you can go off and buy some slightly more expensive chips to eat <laughs> yeah. these days. You, but, um, but yeah, the laughter that went around from that kind of was quite a major relief during that game because mm-hmm. it, wasn't, it wasn't an entertaining affair at all. Mm-hmm. I think he knew, by yeah. the way. And I think he probably wanted to inject some uh, life into it. Because well, it he was, had formed, didn't he? If we remember Italia 90, I mean, that's when Renier Gates really came to everyone's which I used to love about tournaments. You won't have that next year at 2000 because we know all the players. We know who's going to be there. Best thing about the 90s was going, watching a tournament. Not ever, you know Who was Renier Gator before Italia 90? And then he was this crazy goalkeeper trying to be a sweeper. And who, was the, who, and who would go down then as the last major transfer from a, from, from a performance based on a, world, from a major tournament? I'm thinking Carol Paborski. Yeah, the first probably. name that put in my head was Carol Paborski, Gordon Man United. Um, the other goalkeeping name from the 90s uh, was a bit later in the period. Um, Jose Chalavet. Uh, the goal-scoring goalkeeper, as he's called. Uh, another, I, want, I keep wanting to say crazy, but that's the word they use. So let's go with crazy. But yeah, flamboyant Paraguayan with a mean free kick, Andrew. Yeah, free kicks. I think you took penalties yep. as well. Um, I've got another name written down here who's, who's, who started in the 90s and, and only just recently, literally a week or so ago, a couple of weeks ago, retired. And that's Rogerio, the yep. Sao Paulo <laughs> Um, goalkeeper. Freedom different in South America. Everyone can play football properly in South America. Well, this is it. And, you know, maybe Roy Hodgson's missing a trick. Maybe <laughs> we should start with Joe Hart up front or something in the, uh, in, in the Euros. He's not Stuart Pearce. Didn't he try that with David James once at, uh, at City? Oh, David, oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> David, there's a great YouTube reel on that as well where David James tries to, tries to, tries to win a cor- uh, get up for a corner at one point and tries kicking the ball and ends up kicking, <laughs> kicking someone straight in the nuts. That's when we realise um, why he's a goalkeeper. Yeah, um, no, I mean, yeah, Schillever, um, I don't, I can't remember how many goals he scored, mm. but you know, goals for. I mean, he, he was the the statisticians' um, dream, but also the statisticians' nightmare because if they got columns for goalkeepers, they won't. They'll have columns for clean sheets and goals conceded yeah. and everything else. They won't have a column for goals scored. And although Schmeichel grabbed a couple, you could make those put those in as footnotes. Schiller and Rogerio. <laughs> Bucket loads, yeah. yeah, into double figures. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, yeah. Rogerio, I think hit uh, more than a hundred goals, which is crazy. For Sao Paulo, Absolutely mostly crazy. penalties, yeah. but. 
explanation. It's, it's taking Rush Goalie just a bit extreme, <laughs> yes, isn't it? Yes, really? yes, it is. Maybe that's what we're brought up on, Rush Goalie. What is the <laughs> South American version of Rush Goalie? That is tonight's homework for everyone. Um, sticking with the broad, there's a few names that were put out on Twitter. I'm just going to read these off and we can talk about just, I mentioned them very briefly, but Walter Zenga at Italian 90 was a, was a great goalkeeper. Um, Fabian Barthez, of course, in 98, uh, was, was probably one of the best goalkeepers in the world at that point before he moved to Man United, went a bit sour. Um, Oliver Kahn, towards the end of the decade. Uh, decade. Uh, Jim Layton, as someone mentioned Jim on Twitter, Layton. you know, was a great goalkeeper for Scotland. Probably before, you know, I think he was least mistaken in, in the 1990 Cup final. He was yeah. dropped for the, set, uh, the replay, wasn't he? And can I just say, to get another Reading plug in, which I hopefully will do. I was going to ask you, I was getting to that, don't worry, no, David. No, no, but Jim Layton had an amazing spell on loan, early Mark McGee era, oh, at okay. Elm Park, and he was awesome. Mm. Absolutely awesome. But then, precursor to, someone will come to an end. Yeah, we'll I, I was just about to say, I thought you were going to mention Bobby Mihailov. I know, <laughs> oh, that's a separate thing. But actually, can I just say the Bobby story? Because you know the Wiggy, the wiggy thing with Bobby Mihailov. Um, during Euro 96, the one game I got to was at uh, St. James's Park. And it was Bulgaria against France. And I managed to, surprisingly, get tickets for that game. Uh, there was about, I think, 25,000 in St. James's Park. It's there was yeah. I... No, that's just There should be tickets, know, no left. I know they didn't appreciate it. No. And actually, the memory, just to, to get on that thing, is that, oh, we sell out stadiums for big tournaments. Euro 96, a lot of the stadiums mm. weren't sold out for. Just uh, people do forget that. But yeah, St. James's Park, there was I in my Reading shirt behind Bobby Mihailov to sort of go, hi, you know, whatever, completely ignore me during the whole game. Plus, I was just the one idiot there with a Reading top on in Newcastle. Uh, but also, famously, the claim is he watched the playoff final video of that game against Bolton and thought that Wembley was Reading's home ground. <laughs> That's why he signed. Oh, well. Didn't know where Reading. He'd never been to Reading, had he? So. Imagine th- thinking that and turning up <laughs> yeah. at home park. Wasn't even the matter that time, no. Um, would have blown his head off. Just quickly, another couple of names I've got written down here. Uh, Edwin van der Sar in his uh, kind of infancy as Holland goalkeeper, despite conceding four at Euro 96, what we like to smile about. Uh, Tafarel was somebody who, you know, as 1994 is my favourite World Cup, and he was the World Cup winning goalkeeper for Brazil. Great goalkeeper as well. Um, I think a friend of the show, Liam Shepard, as well, mentioned Sassarilic, but I think that's a, a Cholton <laughs> only kind of <laughs> fantasy. Although he did very well in that playoff final um so let's ask the guys their personal picks then um because i know the name that david's going to say and he's a particularly 90 special it is a 90 special and i was delighted because i sort of mentioned i said to you on the email i've only got one word for you <laughs> yeah and it's all he needed and that's all i needed and you were like oh well that's good uh because from a reading fan point of view shaka his there's a 90s was- name amazing now i was working doing a sports show on saturdays um during the season that took he took us up essentially jimmy quinn scoring lots of goals but obviously then the the promotion season that took us into division one and then the season where we get through to the the playoff final shaka hislop undoubtedly the best goalkeeper i have ever seen and i mean i have seen england games and whatever some of the saves that he made were absolutely amazing the one the weakness we touched on it with Schmeichel is that he probably had a mistake in him mm. which is fair enough quite a few mistakes perhaps especially early on at Reading uh, he also didn't really dominate the box but in terms of shot stopping was quite extraordinary and fans that were there for that season when we got promoted will tell tales of shots that should you know were goals mm. that weren't goals and I think I've been desperately trying to find it on YouTube because I 
remember watching a Newcastle Liverpool game, and I think Shaka took over from Pavel in terms of the number one yeah, shirt with yeah, Newcastle. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and um, a save that he made against Liverpool at St James's Park, where effectively the ball is in the net and Shaka is moving backwards and tips the ball yeah. over the. I think I vaguely remember that actually, over yeah. the crossbar is the, the most amazing, and I would have that as a more amazing save than the David Seaman one against uh, against Sheffield United in the cup or the Schmeichel one in the uh, in the Champions League or European Cup. Mm game um and he it was it was the fact that he i mean he was sort of the the center of excitement but also he had a great name as a yeah. fan to be able to <laughs> chant which is really key i mean no disrespect to peter schmeichel yeah it's quite hard to get into but, a know, football song yeah, yeah, yeah. but shaka mm. is a fantastic chant and when someone makes a save you kind of you know it's polite applause but it would really get you going yeah. and the fact is that some of those saves actually generated the excitement for what was you know for reading fans that probably you know the second best team that we've ever seen in reading history at that period of time and shaka was undoubtedly a key part of that and you know that team was stripped apart after the playoff defeat at the end of 95 and shaka went off to newcastle but i think those teams that he then went on to play for west ham as well i think remember him fondly as well And, and, and also just a delightful fellow yeah he's a good pundit I think he's in America isn't he yeah uh, at the moment so he's a good pundit yeah Yeah. I really rated Shaka Hissop as a kid I always remember when he signed for Newcastle I thought it was a great signing Um, but I think he was battling Pavel and also Mike Hooper for the number one there's a name from the 90s your personal pick then uh, Andrew at Villa Uh, it has to be Mark Bosnich Um, pretty much the goalkeeper for for, for most of the 90s probably Nigel Spink was there at the beginning wasn't he Nigel Spink was there at the beginning Um, I believe I still I do believe I have never looked this up it's one of those things you know when you get something into your head from the time (laughs) and it sticks with you and then when you go to repeat it years later you think hang on a minute do I definitely know this I'm pretty certain Nigel Spink was the first goalkeeper to be penalised for picking up a back pass oh okay on the opening day of that there's more homework for you there listeners see um, see if that's true um, it was just the fact that he was Get knocking on in years, bless him. Yeah. At that point, and um, the I had the. Um, do you remember the Tonko figures, like the really early on ones that didn't look like any of the actual <laughs> players they were meant to look like? But I always remember I had the Nigel Spink one in full pose, and that always sticks out. But Mark Bosnich, quickly before Mark, we go, then Mark Bosnich, fantastic goalkeeper, great reflexes. Um, again, um, I mean, one of those ones where with the, with Villa, because he was so reliable in terms of always being there when he wasn't there we'd never really had the resources to back him up i mean michael oakes um was was <laughs> our backup goalkeeper um and so bosnich's there was a period when bosnich was out injured um and we had michael oakes in for a good couple of months and that was that was not a that mm. was not a great period i remember one really awful error that michael oakes made at blackburn it was oh god it was horrible um, and from a Villa perspective, later Villa, but started in the 90s and was decent in the 90s, is Brad Friedel. Yeah. Um, Feels like he's been going forever, Brad Friedel. Oh, absolutely. And um, I think that run of unbroken yeah. games, I think, started in the 90s. Yeah, probably it probably started been, in the yeah. 1970s. No, Underrated at Liverpool, I thought, Brad Friedel. Because I've read his autobiography, great book to read um, if you're interested in, especially in that sort of thing. Um, I'm personally, because I haven't I've gone a whole podcast without mentioning QPR yet. So I can. I, I, I got a little mention earlier on. A little, yeah, but was that when we beat you? Yeah, I can mention it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but unnecessary so, unnecessary yeah, it was a little bit go on Nedham um, I would say at the 90s goalkeeping isn't 
kind of sofa keeper we remember quite fondly. The, the biggest name for me was Jan Stayskel. I don't know if that yeah rings a bell. He's probably he's probably my favourite goalkeeper at QPR overall. But other than that, Tony Roberts was a stalwart in the nineties for QPR, and then we had some flirtations with Jurgen Summer. Uh, the American and a Dutch goalkeeper called Seb Dijkstra, who kind of ha- oh, yeah. had a yeah. tash like David Seaman, but didn't play like David Seaman. <laughs> Why is it Americans always make good goalkeepers? Yeah, especially in the nineties. You got mm. Casey Keller as well. Casey Keller, it was yeah, uh, it was there as well as we mentioned Tony Miola and yeah, and later on sort of Brad Fried and um, Brad Friedel and Tim Howard, Tim and Howard, and Brad Kizan. Yeah. So. Um, and can I just throw in a name for the nineties? Ludek Mikloszko. Yeah, later at QPR as well. Actually, yeah, was that, that would have been just at the end of the nineties. Yeah, consistent, good goalkeeper, solid. Um, anyone else? Have we forgot anyone? Well, I'm just thinking. I'm yeah. just thinking. I'm just thinking. There are certain clubs that we haven't. I mean, we haven't. Uh, Ed De Hoy. I don't know if Ed De, Ed De Hoy was, was, yeah. was mentioned. I mean, some of the bigger clubs we haven't even touched on at all. I mean, um, I'm trying to think from a Tottenham perspective. Eric the Viking. Uh, oh yes, of course. Um, <laughs> Not what Tottenham fans called uh, opposition fans called him. But no, yeah, Eric the Viking. Um, you know, and and just there's just some. I mean, there are some great goalkeepers. I'm sure that will come to mind eventually. Yeah. But I think it was a good era. I think it was a good era for goalkeepers. Yeah, I really, so, yeah. really do. David, anyone else that can I, I don't think so, but I will feel bad when suddenly they spring to mind. But I was thinking about Brad Friedel and something I mentioned about the sort of intelligence. I mean, firstly, goalkeepers have the advantage that they can go on for longer than outfield players generally, obviously, as we, if we've seen. Burridge, I think, was did he do mm. his... Uh, oh, my God, his A to Z record? of the football league. Yeah, uh, he, was a, he was a QPR <laughs> for, for a moment, John exactly. Burridge. Did, so. he, did he move in? I, I think he must have made... I think I saw him play for Newcastle against Reading in the, in the 80s, but he must have made it into the 90s as well. I would but, have thought so, But yeah. Friedel, again, was one of those intelligent goalkeepers as well. And I, I don't know this is something to explore, but whether that was actually, again, something because he could read the game, whether that helped in that position. And, you know, he was, again, someone, you know, in terms of the history of, of the Premier League and the top flight, overshadowed by the likes of, of Schmeichel. But, what, you know, what a fantastic era it was for yeah. also personalities. I mean, you mentioned McCloskoe. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was a, big, a fantastic yeah, personality. Definitely, yeah. You know, entertaining goalkeepers, whereas now you, you kind of, as, even as a fan, you just want them to do the job. Yeah. I think and, that's football in general, though, isn't it? If you yeah, look at and personalities and more in the 90s. Yeah. in that sense, which is a bit of a shame because, you know, a goalkeeper who does do the, the odd rash coming out of the box is it quite entertaining and of course you know late 80s into the 90s you've got outfield players going in yeah. to goal uh, where you know I saw that a couple of times with Reading the likes of Trevor Senior yeah. and other players that I think Tony no, I think Morgan, Niall Quinn did it in, in Quinn, the 90s didn't yeah, he for exactly. Man City yeah so you know that sort of thing yeah. a very entertaining position that's made, been made a bit dry of late, yes. and, and not just to say north of the border. Brief mentions for Andy Gorman and Packy Bonner as well. Yeah, good, good job. The only thing Thank I'm going to finish on is a is a. We haven't talked about errors really because it was more celebrating the '90s. And I remember the Tim Flowers one from Collie Moore that hit a bobble whenever he said. But the one that always sticks out to me, and it was on a video, goals and gaffs. Danny Baker's one of those things, and it was Andy Dibble held out a ball like that. Andrew's <laughs> laughing because he knows what I mean. And I don't think you could do it now because I think it'd be ungentlemanly conduct. But then he was holding the ball, so he didn't have two hands on it. Gary Cosby came around the back, headed it at him, and scored. And the goal was allowed. I think Dion Dublin did it as well later on. That was—I was going to say—that was against. I think that was Shea Given. Was that? I Shea think Given? it was. Blackburn Coventry, Coventry wasn't definitely and he Coventry. rolls well because yeah. Dublin has gone past him to try yeah. and get onto a long ball which Givens caught 
and yeah. just run run right past him up to yeah. the advertising hoardings. So he puts it down, it rolls it down in front of him. Dublin turns it around. Yeah, and yeah. I think that was allowed as well, wasn't it? Well, it was on the ground. Yeah, it so, was just, yeah. just rolled it out. Be different these days, right? Just before we go, um, we had a competition with the brilliant guys at Art of Football. Um, two t-shirts to win of your choice. Uh, we have picked two winners. So well done to James Henley and John Real. Um, get we'll get in contact with you on TL so we can try and possibly get the t-shirt out for Christmas. I'm sure those guys can sort it. Remember, if you want to get your own t-shirt there, like the ones that I'm wearing, and we'll put on Twitter later. You can get your own discount code 10% AK90s. But until then, see you next week. Keep it 90s. This podcast is a West 12 Media and Burble Media production.